As 2022 comes to a close, we reflect on the historic headlines from this year and the big stories coming up next year. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. This year, 2022, was filled with remarkable changes and historic moments. There were the surprising midterm election results, the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, historic inflation and gas prices, tragic mass shootings, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we know in 2023, here in Washington, there will be much to cover as we enter a year of divided government. So tonight, we have a special edition of the show. We have four newsroom leaders from the nation's top media outlets here to talk about reporting in 2022 and in 2023. With me here at the table, Elizabeth Bumiller. She is the assistant managing editor and the Washington bureau chief at The New York Times. Finn Gomez is the political director for CBS News. Taryn Samuel is the vice president and executive editor at NPR. And Vanessa Williams, she is the deputy national politics editor at The Washington Post. So we should, of course, just jump right in. Let's start with the balance of power in Washington in 2023. The midterms left the Democrats with a slim majority in the Senate. And in the House, Republicans have their own slim majority and the speaker's gavel. Here's Republican minority leader Kevin McCarthy, who was expected, though he doesn't have the votes just yet, to become speaker after the November elections. I'm proud to announce the era of one-party Democrat rule in Washington is over. Washington now has a check and balance, and this new Republican leadership team is ready to get to work to put America back on the right track. And here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer speaking after Democrat Raphael Warnock's victory in the Georgia Senate race, but that was before Kirsten Sinema of Arizona announced she was leaving the Democratic Party to become an independent. It's the first time since 1934 that every incumbent of the party in power won. The practical effects of the 51-seat majority, it's big, it's significant. We can breathe a sigh of relief. We can breathe a sigh of relief. That's what the Democrats are saying, Vanessa. What are your big takeaways from covering politics this year as a newsroom leader? And what challenges as well as what lessons do you think you're taking in 2023, of course, at The Washington Post? Thanks, Yamish. Glad to be here with you. Well, of course, one of the big stories for me was the race in Georgia that gave the Democrats that 51st seat, only to see that uh, that victory squ squashed a little bit by um, uh, Senator Sinema's decision. But I think that was an important story, uh, as well as just in general, I think uh, it was one of the takeaways for me was how we almost blew it <laughs> in that uh, we started, we journalism, political journalists in general, started out uh, thinking uh, that Democrats had the edge. Then there was this radical wild switch to no, they're going to lose. And I think we, we kind of lost our way in that we uh, stopped listening to voters and started paying too much attention to, attend, uh, attention to pundits. So I think that was one of the lessons we took away is we have to really continue to work hard at, uh, at striking that balance. He talked to our, our producers, Vanessa, about this idea that we have to focus on voting blocks um, and making sure that we're paying attention to people, including African-Americans and Latinos and women. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think that was very important. And uh, I think you could see it in different places. One, again, one of the races that I focused on with my team was Georgia. And I do think that... Um, Black voters were very intentional, uh, very uh, 
focused in a way that I think people didn't expect. Uh, Elizabeth, your, your team did a really good story that I liked toward the end about how black voters felt about this historic race that featured two black candidates, one of which, though, they were uh, concerned about uh, uh, his uh, viability, his uh, credibility. Uh, we did a version of that earlier in the, uh, in the, in the cycle, but I do think that that uh, was, again, a wake-up call that, you know, we don't need, we shouldn't always listen to the same voters, that other voters bring other perspectives and, and, and can uh, make... Uh, Just, like, make a lot of people basically think about sort of how we're covering all of these races. So yeah. it's really important. I'm also, I should say, I'm loving this because you have the Washington Post on saying that the New York Times is doing a good job. Yeah, we have to you. pause for a minute there because I was working at the New York Times at one point, so I'm going to take that, Vanessa, and take that as a personal, um, as a personal sort of way to really be proud of the fact that the New York Times is we, doing all this actually, great work. Thank you. We appreciate that. The Washington Post and the New York Times, as you know, we're the most intense competitors ever. Yes. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it continues. It's been going, going on for decades and decades and decades. Absolutely. And, and continues till this minute. Yeah. yeah, and when you're thinking about that, what was your North Star at the New York Times, especially when you think about the fact that you were covering not only, of course, the politics and all of the sort of voting issues that Vanessa was talking about, but also you had people who were outright lying with election deniers, some of them echoing the language of, of, of former President Trump. What's the North Star at the New York Times? I the biggest challenge for us in the past year has been covering basically two presidents simultaneously. Uh, you know, we thought that after 2020, after uh, that uh, President Trump was gone from the landscape, and of course, we were wrong. He kind of was quiet for the first year, mm -hmm. but he came roaring back in this past year because of the Trump investiga the investigations. The January 6th investigation, the January 6th committee morphed into the Justice Department investigation. We now have the documents investigation. The Washington Post gave us a run for our money on, on that investigation. And now it looks like we're going to have a, an IRS investigation. Mm -hmm. So that has been the biggest challenge for us. You know, he is a former president. I think we started out saying we don't have to pay that much attention to him. We don't normally pay attention to former presidents. But he's be because of the investigations and because he's now running for re-election, he's become a force we have to reckon with at the same time that we're, you know, covering the current president. Mm -hmm. So this, that was the challenge for us. When he was president, it was always, especially towards the end of his term, we always had this question when he would tweet. When he would tweet or lie, <laughs> it was always, mm -hmm. do we, do we, uh, do we, do we ignore him or do we call him on it? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it continues now, basically. But we don't ignore the investigations, obviously. And, and Finn, I mean, we covered former President yes. Trump together when you were a lowly White House producer. Now, of course, you're a big <laughs> boss. Or you're on the newsroom leaders team. But I wonder, when you think about sort of TV and the way that you have to cover breaking news coverage, that means you're making real-time decisions in a way that maybe print reporters have a little bit of time to, to balance and to think back. What, what's the approach at CBS when you think about all that you had to deal with in the midterms? What was guiding your coverage? do you think? Uh, I, I think it's always about, frankly, truth. Like, and, and if, you're, if we're talking about former President Donald Trump, I, you know, for us, uh, by the way, Terrence, when, when he was tweeting, I think I think Yumi Schnack and both confirmed that that caused a lot of anxiety and, and yes. that, that would change the headlines, especially right before right before right before evening news. But, uh, <laughs> but 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 I think especially with the former president, I think now uh, not only does he everything you mentioned, Elizabeth, is absolutely accurate, 100% agree with you, but um, he also has this really significant hold still on the right. Republican Party, and for that alone, uh, you have to cover that. You have to cover that narrative and looking 
into 2023, it's still be it's still going to be a significant one. Yes, he's weakened. Yes, he's politically vulnerable. You know, we've heard him a long time. You mentioned, you know, I would go back to 2015 where we've seen this sort of this sort of weakened state for the former president. But he still has about 30 percent of that hold on the Republican Party, and for that alone, it's significant. Um, it, it, but of course, and, and to, to Vanessa's point, also I think with with this this seismic historic midterm election yeah. where it shifted from it's going to be this one narrative to then you know then a, there's this red wave that became the red trickle to you know <laughs> to the fact that you know that we did have a model by the way CBS did where we we saw that if 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 voters of color if women and young voters came out and turned out mm -hmm. that they would it would be a very close result and I think we did see that okay. um, but. The fact of the matter that changed so much, and, and Donald Trump was in, involved in that. You know, sure. the candidate quality issue, of course, was significant. Mm -hmm. So all of that, it, it continues to be a big narrative for in this year, leaning and leaning into the next one as well. And Terrence, when I come to NPR, when I come to National Public Radio, it's often when I'm like, I need to know the in-depth coverage. I need to take a break and listen to calm voices. How does that sort of factor into into your coverage? Does it factor? And does NPR think of itself as the place where it's like we're here for in-depth coverage? Obviously, you do breaking news, but how how does that sort of factor in? Look, I think I think we're trying to do what everybody else is trying to do and playing to our strengths. We people come to us because they hear something and they want to understand it a little better. Um, and you know, clearly we we try to do it when I worked at the Post. But there is a there's something about the the voice that um, and and the reputation of NPR that uh, tells people that okay, you come to us and we will try to figure it out as best we can. And, and let you know. And I mean, the answer to your initial question about what, what 20, 2022 was like versus 2023 is, look, it felt like a hangover, you know? It, it felt <laughs> like so we had true. been doing this. Mm -hmm. And um, we talked a lot about the politics, uh, it, uh, but I mean, COVID, I mean, it just, it just kept like, and it, was a, it was a hangover from 2020. It, 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 it felt like the same story and it just kept going and kept going. And um, in 2023, I, look, I think we're going to be talking about uh, how we recover from the, the pandemic uh, economically. And, and are we going to go into a recession? Uh, did we survive that or not? Um, but the, the question of Trump and Trumpism and, and the kind of the election denialism that kind of became the, you know, the chief facet of, of that movement, yeah. I think, remains uh, maybe the biggest story that we're going to be dealing with politically. And one another, another big story that you're going to be dealing with politically is the fact that in June, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, taking away the federal right to have an abortion. Since then, a number of states have moved to restrict or outright ban abortion. We should remind people that the ruling reversed nearly 50 years of precedent. And it was met with delight from conservatives, but it was also it also triggered a backlash among many critics, and it really was in some ways, Vanessa, a, a top thing that, that was on voters' minds when you think about uh, the election results and the exit polls that we saw. You, told, you were talking about this idea that it's not about only thinking about pundits and political consultants, but also, if you're a reporter out there, I know went to like 10, 15 states, abortion was something that I heard over and over. As, as an editor, tell me a little bit about what you were telling your reporters to try to capture just what this abortion ruling was going to mean politically. Well, I think, again, uh, there was no one-size-fits-all that, um, and, and sometimes uh, in the national, when you're, like, doing a national uh, political coverage, it's hard to, to see that uh, different states, different regions approached it differently. Mm -hmm. One of the more interesting stories we did was how 
um, people who did still very much strongly believe in uh, uh, in believe what the Supreme Court did was was fair. Uh, uh, bolstered some candidates, um, and uh, while people who uh, were opposed to uh, to the decision uh, drove races in a different way. So again, I think it it, it gets down to what I was trying to say before: it get down to listening uh, to voters and to paying attention to subtle differences that can make a difference. Because I, while I think overall it had an effect in pockets, we could see that uh, it was still an issue that drove. Uh, um, Voters who were opposed to abortion uh, yeah. in one way th and those yeah. in the other. Yeah. The thing that was interesting about uh, the, the Dobbs ruling is that mm -hmm. it happened and everybody said, this is going to help Democrats. And then the, the punditry right, and the polling right. over the next few months kind of went back and forth. Mm -hmm. But if you were a reporter on the ground, mm -hmm. it was clear that something had happened to, to those voters. Right. It, was, it was hard to measure and we were very careful. Mm -hmm. but. It was clear that that was going to be a big deal, and it, it turned out to be, I think, exactly where mm -hmm. The punditry kept, the polls kept on showing that the main, number one concern of voters was the economy yeah. mm -hmm. and a potential recession. And so, yes, in the weeks before the election, we decided that abortion had faded as an issue. It was mm -hmm. not a concern. It turned out it was completely wrong. And certainly also, especially the states where abortion was heavily restricted. Mm -hmm. That And it, again, you were referring to it. The, the election was very localized. And it, people voted in different ways in different states. And the national polls just can't capture that. Exactly. And that was, that was one of the mistakes that was made, exactly. I think. And I think one of the things I think we're really proud of, uh, uh, I am particularly proud of, when we had reporters on the ground doing the reporting, mm -hmm. not, you know, not trying to answer the big national questions, mm -hmm. the coverage was excellent. And when, for whatever reason, we had to like, rely on you know, people in Washington, or or just some some kind of the kind of the, the kind of guard, garden grade uh, punditry. Yeah. It was not as it was not as helpful and not as insightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say because we there were so many things that going on. I want to also because we sort of have to have a conversation this year about the January sixth committee. Um, they held public meetings. They had a detailed report that was released, and then also for the first time in history, there was a congressional committee that referred criminal charges against a former president. In this case, Donald Trump, of course, um, to the Justice Department. So here's how Liz Cheney, the vice chair of the committee, a Republican, said the former president's role. What she said about the former president role in the insurrection. No man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. So, Finn, uh, you heard Liz Cheney say it so clearly. She's saying he's unfit. We, of course, know that he is also running for re-election now. You told our producers you're fastening your seatbelt um, to yeah. think about this coverage. So tell us, what, how are you fastening your seatbelt? What, you, what are you expecting? Oh, uh, you know, I am fastening my seatbelt. I'm getting ready for this roller coaster ride, which will be the 2024 Republican presidential primary process. Donald Trump, as you mentioned, has entered. Um, and, you know, in, in an historic way, because now he's looking and not only with the referrals, there's multiple investigations. This former president, who is also, again, uh, getting a sizable support within the party, is looking at possible indictments and charges uh, in early next year. You know, in this, and if you're looking at something, that, that, could, something that, could, that could possibly happen. And I think that, that um, you know, so, yes, I, I think that uh, Donald Trump uh, and, you know, um, 
and his, again, his positioning within the party and uh, when the other potential rivals jump into the race, including uh, uh, potentially Governor uh, of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, his former vice president, Mike Pence, you know, it, maybe a couple governors here and there, uh, Nikki Haley, perhaps, Mike Pompeo. And, and you're going to see this, uh, really, this this process of something we haven't seen before. So, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, pretty impactful. And Vanessa, you're at the Washington Post, uh, along with all of us, you might be covering a rematch, right? We might have an 80-year-old-plus 80, 80 president, President Biden, who... Democrats will say accomplished a lot. He got this these midterm results that are better than a lot of a lot of presidents over decades. Um, he might run again. So how is how is your newsroom talking about covering a possible rematch? Uh, I think the way we covered it the first go round. <laughs> so um, I, you know I haven't been like totally plugged into those conversations. Again, I focus more on sort of voter voices. But I do think it'll be interesting to listen to uh, voters. We are hearing some uh, more and more people saying, you know, I like him and uh, I think he's a great guy, but we're not sure he should run again. Uh, I think, I think again, it would be fascinating to hear what people on the ground are saying about both. Uh, I think Democrats probably are, Democratic voters are a little more um, you know, uh, I think they're they're concerned about you know something that would uh, that would tear the party apart, and uh, because of course a lot of them are motivated by you know stopping Trump. So I think there's some concern there, but I also think again folks are are just not sure on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, like I said, we've started having very fascinating conversations with people, and you're starting to see some cracks. Some people thinking, well, you know, that was fun, that was nice, but it's time for us to move on as a party, and uh, I hope somebody else runs. So I think it'll be interesting to continue to have those conversations. And Elizabeth, I, I've, I've been on your staff before, so tell me, tell me what you're telling your reporters. Well, you know, we, we, as you know, we work with the politics team in New York, and so, but if there's an incumbent president, uh, Biden, running, and we assume he's going to be running, because he says he will, uh, we'll, be, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll be in with the politics team covering that. I think what's interesting, though, about the January 6th committee is people were very skeptical of the committee in the beginning, and a number of columnists wrote that this was a total waste of time, mm -hmm. and... Well, I think what happened was that, yes, they, they, uh, and they made the criminal referral, but I think that over the 10 hearings, they used television against Donald Trump in mm -hmm. a way that I, we led to some of his d diminishment. Mm -hmm. To be sure, he's very strong among Republicans still, but they painted a picture of, you know, through the very excellent use of television, of an out-of-control president throwing cheeseburgers against the wall of the White House, having temper tantrums, mm -hmm. and they... They carefully documented what had actually happened, which was a, an attempt by the President of the United States to overthrow an election. So I think that they were successful in that, in, in doing that. See, I don't think they convinced those diehard Republicans. Yeah. So going forward, we're going to be, you know, <laughs> covering, covering the race as well. And um, we, uh, we are perhaps expecting some kind of action from the Justice Department in the spring. The Justice Department has to act um, somewhat before the election really gets underway for, by their own guidelines. Yeah. And another big story, as we're thinking about this year, uh, Terrence, is gun violence. There were over 600 mass shootings. Um, when you think about the challenge of covering this mass shootings, how does NPR, um, how does NPR approach this? Because in some ways you had Uvalde and, 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 and Club Q and so many sort of tragic shootings, but they also happen so often that it's hard as a reporter sometimes if you're parachuting in and then parachuting right back out. 
Uvalde, Club Q, Buffalo, mm -hmm. Chesapeake, Virginia. I mean, it goes on and on. That, I mean, that, that story feels completely beyond comprehension. Mm -hmm. And we just keep going and asking ourselves, how do, how do we do this better? Um, we worry a lot about the people doing it because in some cases, you know, we had reporters go from one to the other to the other. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's, it's, it's exhausting. Um, you know, I, was, I, I am not buckling my seatbelt because I'm just ready for uh, surprising things to happen on the political front. But it would be really great if somehow we're surprised by fewer gun violence uh, incidents next year. But and, and, you know, it's not just uh, the mass shootings, but increasingly it seems like uh, uh, weekends in, in big cities, mm -hmm. uh, the, the shootings that have occurred in Atlanta have just been horrifying. Teen, teenagers uh, gunned down at, at uh, entertainment venues or, or just sort of hanging out as teenagers do. Uh, shootings uh, in D.C. even uh, have been... Uh, have been um, uh, uh, a club, uh, a nice club closed down, fled its neighborhood because of uh, violence, street violence. So, um, so that's also, I think, uh, concerning. It'll be interesting to see how it plays into the political uh, uh, campaigns because I think there was some frustration on, on the part of voters last, uh, in, in the midterms, that it's, that it's used uh, uh, just, just sort of as a, a wedge issue, and that no, neither side is really doing a good job of trying yeah, to I help. I mean, 10 years after Sandy Hook, yeah. and here we are. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and every time there's a horrible shoot, mass shooting, mm -hmm. we get asked by the, in Washington by the editors in New York, what is Congress going to do? Mm -hmm. And we always say um, nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. we have the same conversation over and over again, and it's, it's, it's hard to cover. It is. It it's is. very hard to cover. And yeah. it's, it's, it's something that I definitely think about um, as I think about next year. And Finn, I, I want to go to you for really our last topic. Mm. I was struck by the fact that as, I, as we were building this and, and thinking about this show, that we had so many diverse people to choose from. So I wonder, when you think about being a newsroom leader, how has diversity impacted your newsroom and, and, and the value of it when we think about not only covering sort of racial issues, but also when you think about covering mass shootings or covering democracy, having diverse voices, covering immigration. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's an important uh, component of coverage in terms of, like, with Uvalde, for example, we had uh, bilingual reporters who were there and were speaking to the victims and the victims' families uh, in Spanish and in English, which I think is really important. Important to have that type of uh, ability, but also that sort of perspective when you cover these these sort of stories and these type of stories. Uh, I think just overall, it's an it's very important. Representation is very important, especially in political coverage. You know, I think the uh, I think political journalists as a whole, as a whole, the press corps has to look like the country that it, it covers. And last, uh, maybe last 30 seconds to you, Elizabeth, you have a diverse team in, in D.C., but um, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the, the importance of that, especially just in covering the news accurately. Yeah, I'm very proud of, of the, um, the, the changing picture of the Washington Bureau. Um, you were there. It's, it's changed since you've been there. Um, it's younger. It's way more diverse, uh, more women. Um, so I'm very proud of that. And I just think I agree with you. It just you need a team that looks like America to and it, 
to bring different voices to the table. And by the way, diverse voices are very diverse themselves. They don't, there's not a monolithic view here. And it really helps our conversations, it helps our coverage, um, especially out in the, in the country politically. And you get a lot of different kinds of stories from reporters who have their, have, have roots in different communities. Uh, you get stories that the other, otherwise we wouldn't cover. I can think of Erica Green, the kind of stuff she's done. Five seconds, but go ahead. I think if you look at all the stories we talked about, we can't cover it without diverse voices. Such a good ending point to have that we that we need diversity. It's not sort of doing someone a favor to hire them. It is making sure that our newsrooms are accurate to cover all the things that we just talked about. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much to our panel for joining us, for sharing your insights. Always nice to meet the bosses. And be sure to tune in to PBS News Weekend for a look back at the people, issues, and places that made headlines in 2022. And finally, I want to wish all of our viewers a happy new year. I hope you get to spend some time resting and with those you love most. Good night from Washington.